privilege of introducing to you uh, Josh Ramey. Uh, Josh is the older brother of Shane Ramey, and uh, some of you, many of you are friends with Shane and Aaron and their family. For those of you that can't uh, place who Shane is, he is the uh, drums for us sometimes. He wasn't today, but I think he was recently lovingly referred to by our pastor as Animal uh, from the Muppets. So that's uh, his older brother is here this morning, Josh. Uh, Josh is from the Columbus area. He and his wife, Melinda, have been married uh, for 10 years, and they're with him today. They are daughters as well, I think ages 7, nine, or seven 4, and 2. Did I get that right? Now, um, Josh and Pastor Brad got to know each other through the Southern Baptist Association. Uh, Josh has been a pastor in Columbus. He's been in the ministry for 15 years. Um, he did his undergraduate studies at The Ohio State University and his postgraduate studies at Southern Seminary. Uh, but he got to know Pastor Brad uh, through the Southern Baptist Association. Uh, he's telling me this morning the one thing that they both had in common is they both took over churches with large debt loads. And so they uh, were able to find some encourage or be some encouragement to each other. But we're excited to have him here this morning. Uh, recently, he's been a pastor, a senior pastor for the last five years, uh, but recently has uh, left that to pursue his Ph.D., again, at Southern Seminary. Uh, in leadership and education, and so we're excited to have him here this morning. Now, just so you know, I did check him out on Facebook. He roots for the right teams. Uh, Ohio State, the Reds, and Hooday, the Bengals. And so would you welcome this morning, Josh Ramey. Actually, let me, let me do something I've always wanted to do, because I can't do this in Columbus, and actually get a reaction. Hooday. Yeah? I did that. I mean, we're, we're, we were filled with uh, Browns fans and even Steelers fans. I was, I was in a, a very, very small minority. It, it was horrible. Horrible. It was like Nineveh. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's good to be here. I'm glad you're here. Um, I, I always like to see on uh, the first day of a new year people turning out to worship Christ. Uh, you have shown just by your presence today that Christ is a priority in your life. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be with you today and to, to share God's Word with you. As we partied hard at the uh, Ramey house last night, and uh, the thing that kept going through my mind, other than I wish they'd lower Lady Gaga instead of the ball, um, the thing that kept going through my mind was, it's 2012. How did that happen? <laughs> it was so quick. And many of you are, are thinking the same thing. It just, time seems to absolutely positively fly I mean, it even seems to get faster. And I, I, I can remember, you know, 20, 30 years, 30 years ago when I was a, a kid thinking, you know, oh, by 2012, we're in flying cars. You know, we're colonizing the moon. You know, all that fell short, of course, but still seems to have gotten here so fast. And, and advice I always get in, in concerning time, I'm a father of three daughters. And every time someone, a, a dad pulls me aside, they say, make sure you enjoy the time. Make sure you, 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 you cherish every moment you've got with those little girls. And I got to tell you, I do. I try as hard as I can, but it doesn't make time slow down. It actually, sometimes I think it makes it go faster. The, the, the more I cherish the, the, those moments, the, the faster time goes and it seems to just be gone. Looking backwards, we, we have memories. We have memories of good and bad, and New Year's tends to do that, doesn't it? We look back over the last year. We do a 2011 in review. Some of you had a great year. Some of you had a horrible year. We, we, we look back, we have the good memories, the bad memories that we continue to entertain, and we think about how long some of our memories uh, ago, they, how long ago they were. 
You know, we, we got memories, some of you, from 70, 80 years ago and think, wow, it just feels like yesterday. So here we are, sandwiched in this, in this unique human circumstance within the dimension of time. Sand, every, every single moment of our lives sandwiched between our past and our future. We're there in, the, in this moment called the present. How, how do we deal with this? How do we, how do we balance uh, looking backward to our past and, and, and looking forward to our future, yet living in the moment? Today we're going to talk about that. Uh, I'm just calling it Learn and Look and Live. We're going to talk about how to, to work with our past, our present, and our future. There's something about the New Year that makes us think about this idea of time time that is continuous, and so there's no, really no difference between today and July 25th, but this makes us think about our past. This makes us think about our future. Today, we, we get sandwiched between those, and we think about all of them. And so today, we're going to quickly build a, a, a theology based on biblical wisdom of how to look at our past, our present, and our future, and then we're going to kind of put away the notes, and we're going to look at an example of Jesus interacting with one of His disciples, Peter and how to do this, and how to live with, with, with maybe past mistakes or past accomplishments and, and future, future unknowns. So I'd ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we get started, and then we'll go ahead and build this idea of how to interact with our past, present, and future. Would you pray with me? God, thank You so much for calling us to worship You today. What a great way to start a new year, God. The world can keep all of their celebrations. This is how we want to ring in the new year. God, we love You. We've come today because we want to know who You are. And we want to know who we are in You. And so I pray that You would teach us both today through Your Word, God. That You would reveal how to work with this dimension of time. Because sometimes we get stuck in the past. Sometimes we get stuck on the future. God, teach us to live in the moment. God, I pray that You would cause us to all leave here changed. Maybe not behavior per se, but our attitudes, our thoughts. God, I pray that Your hand would be on this service. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And Amen. So how does biblical wisdom dictate that we handle our past, present, and future? Let's start with the past. Let's take a look at the past. Uh, too often we improperly view our past. We err on both extremes. On one, one extreme, we... We want to change things that have happened in our past. All those negative events. We wish they wouldn't have happened to us. Maybe we wrestle with guilt or, or resentment or depression because of something that's happened. Uh, maybe it's an abuse. Maybe it's a relationship that has fallen apart. If you've ever gone to a counselor or a therapist, what do you usually talk about? Talk about the past. Past things that have happened to you, that have stuck with you, that have made you the person you are. And sometimes that's a negative type thing because the past continues to affect us today. But on the other side, we, we can dwell on the positive in the past too much too. We can want to relive the past. You, you know people, or, or maybe you are one, that, that are constantly replaying past accomplishments. Or maybe you're an empty nester who longs to have the family back home again. Or maybe you're an old codger who wants to tell everybody about the good old days. But you want to relive the past. You say, it's just not like it used to be. You're right, it's not. And it's not going to be. But we get stuck in the past. and we, we, It's an improper view. So we tend towards either an unhealthy negative view of the past 
And we say, my past has destroyed me. Or we tend towards an unhealthy, positive view of the past that says, oh, it's just not like it used to be. So what would the Bible say? Well, simple. Simple. The Bible would say, learn from our past. If you take all the biblical wisdom into account and and, and boil it down, the Bible would say, learn from the past. That's the the point of, of the past. A couple points there. Remember what God has done. How often do you see this in Scripture? Read through the Old Testament sometime, and especially in the book of Deuteronomy. It's, it's like every other chapter. Moses, as he's giving a speech to the Israelites, is saying, remember what God has done. Remember what God has done for you. I want you to pause and do that for a minute in your personal life. What a great way to start 2012, right? Look back at all the things God did in 2011. Yeah, there might be some negative circumstances there. Maybe, maybe you say, oh, no, you don't understand. I had a horrible year, but God was with you, wasn't He? Stop and think about that. Think about, some memories might pop up. Think about what God has done. And remember that. Rehearse that. That's part of the point of the past. is to learn from it. Learn. What are we learning when we, when we remember what God has done? Remember that God is going to be there for us. Even in the worst circumstances, He's going to be there. That's what we learn when we remember what God has done. The Bible also encourages us to learn from our mistakes. Isaiah 42, Isaiah is kind of sick of the Israelites at this point, And he says, who will hear these lessons from the past and see the ruin that awaits you in the future? Who will learn? Who will learn from your mistakes? Say, you guys continue to do this. And every time you wander away from God, you blow it. And there's negative circumstances. Would would somebody step up and learn something? (laughs) He's saying, get this. Understand this. We need to learn from our mistakes. Learn from what's happened to us. We all make mistakes, right? We've made a few, maybe this year, maybe ten years ago, that you're still holding on to. What do you do with that? Maybe you still feel the guilt from a broken relationship or, or, the, or the guilt of a horrible sin that you committed. Well, God would say, you know what? It happened. Ask for forgiveness and then learn from it. Learn from what you've done. And finally, in, re- in reviewing the past, we see that we are to observe history. Not just our own past, but, but learn from other people. Learn from the past and the, and the things that have gone, gone on in their lives. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon writes, what is happening now has happened before. And what will happen in the future has happened before. Because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Now, it's not the, 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 the identical circumstances, but patterns happen, don't they? You've noticed them. you tried to pass them on to your kids and they won't listen just like you didn't listen to your parents. Because there's patterns. You say, hey, I've, I've been through this peer pressure. I've been through this job circumstance. I've seen how this unfolds. Well, here's the lesson from biblical wisdom. It's to look at that in other people's lives and say, you know what? I could learn a lot from that guy. I could learn a lot from that woman. Part of the thing I, I missed in our church was we were, um, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to call it. I guess I'll use the word contemporary for lack of a better term. But, but our average age was right around 32 and we, we didn't have it. Once you got to 55 and up, the, the, the bell curve just fell off the bottom. And, and I tell you, part of why I didn't like pastor in that church is because I missed the older generation that the Bible time and time again tells us to learn from. To learn from the past. 
Because what's happening now, it's happened before. Not identical circumstances, but the principles remain the same over time. The Bible calls us as we look backwards in our lives to learn from what's happened on, on this planet, in our lives, and what God has done. So let's fast forward now to the future. What do we do with the future? We have unhealthy views of the future often too. Our inappropriate attitudes can be summed up in one word. Are you ready? Control. We want to control the future. We do it in many different ways. We don't even realize that half the time we desperately seek to know what the future holds. We try to speculate and plan for every event. And then we scheme in an attempt to try to control that to our outcome. And then often we're disappointed because our expectations didn't occur. I, I'm convinced from, from counseling people time and time again over the years that, that the biggest thing that plays with people's heads, that, that gets them depressed, that gets them down, is that their expectations didn't happen. They, they, they expected something to be there. They expected this relationship to always be there. They expected that the money would always be there. They expected that, that things would work out fine, that their health would be there for them. And then it didn't happen. They had these perfect expectations of a, of a world, but the Bible would not have us attempt to control our future, but to simply look to it. Look to our future. That comes in focusing on what God will do. Our past focuses on what God has done, but our future focuses on what God will do. That's when things start picking up. Romans eight, thirteen. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ or which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I apologize. I think that's Philippians 3, not Romans 8. Philippians 3.13. Paul's talking about forgetting the past and pressing ahead. Why? Because what God will do. What God will ultimately do. Second thing I think we see in biblical wisdom is to leave the control to God. We're not in control. Leave the control to God when it comes to looking ahead to 2012. Know that God is in control. And know that you might not get your way. Know that all those events, all those plans that you've got in your mind might not happen. Look at James 4, 13 all the way down through 17. James writes, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James is saying, hey, look, you can make all the plans you want. You can make all the schemes you want. You can, you can, some of you have your 2012 planned out already, don't you? It's on a spreadsheet or an outlook or something like that. You've got it all planned out. What James is reminding us of is, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's okay to plan. It's okay to dream. But when those plans and dreams become expectations, we start scheming to try to make them happen. Or we, we, we try to 
fit things so that they will. And we start trying to control things. And you know what we do as soon as we start doing that? We take God's role. God's the one in control, not me. That is hard to swallow, though, isn't it? And I'm not saying don't plan ahead. I'm not saying don't, don't think about the future. No, that's ridiculous. Biblical wisdom would teach us plan ahead. But it also points out time and time again, God is the only one in control. And finally, as we look to the future, don't let it ruin the present. Too often... It's not a, our plans and our schemes that, in a positive way that, do it, that, that, that ruin the present. It's the, oh, what if they don't happen? What if the money's not there? What if these, what if these results come back negative from the doctor? What if, what if the economy falls apart? This is what Jesus would have to say about that. Matthew 6.34 Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will have, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't let the, don't let your worries about the future ruin today. And too often they do that, don't they? You're, you're, you're anticipating something and it doesn't happen. When you're driving in a car, you can look ahead to see the road in front of you. And you should. You shouldn't stare in the rearview mirror, should you? You have to look ahead, but you can't navigate that curve until you get there. If we, if we tried to navigate that curve before it came, it'd be a disaster. And too often in life, that's what we do. We've got all these worries. We've got all these concerns that, that, that bog us down. And we're trying to navigate obstacles that haven't even happened yet. The truth is, and I, and I, hate, to, I hate to be the one to deliver this, you can't control a single thing in this life. And that's really hard for a lot of people to swallow. That test for cancer could come back positive. The money you thought was going to be there may not be. The individuals you love may make some stupid choices that affect you. You cannot control anything in this life. And too often in life, we build these little pockets of illusions of control. But here's the neat thing. We worship the one who is in control. And that's what worship is. It's a realizing that, God, this future is yours. It's not mine. It's yours. You take it and do with it as you see fit. It's okay to have dreams. It's okay to have plans. But the moment they become expectations, we set ourselves up for disappointment and we begin to live out our own plans instead of God's. So God wants us to look to our future. Look to it. Look out there. Look at what He's going to do. And then look back at our past and learn from it. All while living in the present. Living in the present is tough, isn't it? I mean, think about the the vast majority of your thoughts. I'd go as far as 99% of your thoughts are either about the past or the future, aren't they? When you when you have free free thinking time, maybe it's before you go to sleep at night or driving in the car, it's a radio commercial on, so you flip it off, turn it off. That's a better phrase. (laughs) Somebody got that. You turn that off, and you've got your alone thinking time. And, and, and you're, you're working through things. You're usually thinking about things that are coming up. 
where you're thinking about things that have happened. What if we use those moments to think about now? To think about how good God is. That's the first step. See what God is doing. See what God is doing in our, in our lives. See what, what's going on around us. Not just be focused on the past or the future, but right now. See the relationships around us. Work with them. Invest in them. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And, and, and we... We dismiss that verse all the time because, you know, as Southern Baptists, we think, OK, I, I, I made my, my, my choice years ago. Maybe for some of you it was months ago. For some of you it was decades ago. I made my choice and that was my day of salvation. Wrong. Today is the day of salvation. God is saving you as we speak. That, and that should cause us awe. It should cause us worship. It should cause us wonder. That God is right now working on me. He's saving me. He's changing me. He's making me into who He wants me to be right now. Man, that's amazing to me. It's great to remember what God has done. And we should do it. And it's great to look at what He's going to do. And we should do it. But let us not forget what He's doing right in front of you. In your neighborhood, in your city, in your world. Don't miss the present. Live in it. See what God is doing. Embrace the moment. Learn to live in that moment. Psalm 39 is a, is a great psalm about this. Starting in verse 4. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is just a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Learning to embrace the moment. God has promised us so many things in life. So many things. You can go from page to page in this book, and you can find just promises. I think people have written books on this. All the different things that God has promised us. But you know what's not in there? Tomorrow. He doesn't promise us tomorrow. Not once does God say, hey, I guarantee you'll be around tomorrow. He doesn't do it. In fact, more times than we care to admit, God says, your life is but a vapor. Your life is but a breath. Your life is no longer than the width of your hand. Embrace the moment, because it might be all you have. This moment is a gift. And now this moment is a gift. And to embrace that and realize that, that, that we are fleeting. We are, we are just passing through. God is the eternal one, not us. So enjoy Him in the present. And then as, as the psalmist wrote there in verse 7, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in Him. Put my trust in Him. To live in the present, put my trust in Him. Now, here's the neat thing again. I'll show you how we focus on the, on the past and, and on the future. We tend to say, oh, I have put my trust in Him. Or, I'll put, I will put my trust in Him. Now, you know what the Bible would have us do? 
Put your trust in Him. Don't rely on past decisions. I mean, Jesus even said, you remember? He said, daily pick up your cross and walk with Me. That's a constant decision, you guys, to follow Him. You can't rely on a decision you made years ago. It's a daily thing to say, God, I am following You. I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Nowhere else. That has to be a daily occurrence. I don't mean you have to say it out loud. I mean it has to be a condition of your heart that you express to God. Probably multiple times throughout the day if we're honest. God, my only trust is in You. My only hope is in, is in You. Why should we put our trust in Him? Because Hebrews 8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Pretty good place to put your hope then, isn't it? Not in your money, not in your 401k, not even in your job. Not your spouse, not your parents, not your kids, not your football teams. All of them will let you down. Not your government, not a bank, not your house. My trust is in Him every single moment of every day. And so the biblical wisdom regarding our view of time is pretty easy to understand. Learn from the past. Look to the future. But live in the present. Let's build on this biblical wisdom now and close today with a look at this in action with an example from Christ in the light of the Gospel. I love looking at uh, examples of Jesus interacting with the disciples. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn it to John 21. I love looking at Jesus' interaction with, uh, with His disciples because we don't, we don't get to experience that. I mean, we have great prayer lives and we get to read about Jesus, but, but to actually watch sitting and having breakfast with Jesus or sitting and reclining at the table or watching Him do a miracle, isn't that fun to read? When you read through the Gospels, you see how He interacted with regular people like me and you. Peter was certainly one of those regular people. Uh, when we pick up the story here in John 21, many of you know the, uh, the chronology of events here. Uh, Jesus has, has um, uh, been slaughtered on the cross for crimes He didn't commit. Turns out He was dying for mine and your sins. And, and he, after three days, he, he was buried and He rose again. And He began to appear to His disciples. What we're going to read about is one of those appearances. And I want you to watch how He interacts with Peter. Keeping in mind everything that Peter has been through. And so if you've got a Bible, it's not going to be on your screens. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that was James and John, and two other disciples were all together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, eh, we'll go with you. Got nothing else to do. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. First thing I want you to see here is uh, because of a lot of the things that Peter has been through, he's just returning to life as normal. It's what many of us would have done, let's be honest. You know, that you followed this guy Jesus for two, two and a half years, somewhere in there. You, you walked around, but he, he's, he's gone. It, it's yeah, he appeared, but you're not sure what that was all about. And so let me just get back to life as normal. Because why? That's where my successes were. 
That's where, as I look back at my past, that's what I can rely on. That's what I can put my hope in. Is that I know I can fish, so I'll just go back to doing that. I'm going to go fish. I think he was saying more than just a recreational activity. Peter was saying, I'm going to go back to fishing. Verse 4, early in the morning, remember after a night of catching nothing, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any, haven't you any fish? Yeah, almost mocking them, I would think. No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Don't, don't miss what's happening here. If you got a chance this week, go back and read Luke chapter 5. It almost completely mirrors the original calling of Peter, James, John, Andrew, several others. When Jesus came to them and said, cast your nets over there. What, what is Jesus saying here? What is He doing to Peter? I want you to... Oh, wonderful interaction. He's renewing Peter's calling. Peter's going back to fishing because he had a past that he could rely on. He put his hope in his past and his, his accomplishments. He was a good fisherman. But Jesus, standing on the shore, says, cast your nets on the other side. And immediately, as soon as they hauled in those fish, John goes, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. Let's pick up the story there. Verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. I always like to call that, he had a Forrest Gump moment. You know, Lieutenant Dan, he just jumped off the boat and just started swimming. Jesus, he just starts swimming after Jesus. And the other disciples followed in the boat, <laughs> towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask them, uh, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, He took the bread, and He gave it to them. And He did the same with the fish. Imagine the memories coming back. All the past things flooding into their mind of, of exciting times they'd had with this man and terrible times they'd had. And this was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to His disciples after He's raised from the dead. And then he does something interesting. He seems to pull Peter aside. And I wonder if this is the original come to Jesus meeting, you know, <laughs> come, come over here, Peter. I need to talk to you. Uh-oh. <laughs> I just got called into Jesus's office. And in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, he said, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
I love how this whole time Peter has gone back to his past. He's gone back to what he knew. He's gone back to fishing. He, hey, this is what I got. Jesus is bringing him back up to the present and saying, you're forgetting, Peter. I changed your job description. I need you to feed these lambs. I need you to, to look after my sheep. This is what I want you to do now. He gave him a, he gave him a job description that was in the present. Peter, this is what I need you to do. But then, almost as if knowing what was going through Peter's head, he fast-forwards to the future. He gives him a glimpse of what's going to happen. Verse 18, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and will lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the death by which Peter would glorify God. By all accounts, we know Peter died on the cross, but he did so upside down to not be crucified like his Savior. He died a martyr's death. How many of us could face 2012 if we knew that was coming? Jesus basically sitting with Peter says, look, I know you want to go back to fishing. I know it was good for you. But I need you to feed my sheep. But it's not going to be easy. You're actually going to die a death feeding sheep. You're going to be killed and it's out of your control. But trust me. Trust me. Because look at what he says next. After telling him a glimpse of how he would die. In the end of verse 19, then he said to him, follow me. I want you to realize all of, the, all of this going on, all the parallelism between this story and the one that's recorded in Luke 5. That's the same thing Jesus said to him then, but it was a bodily, physical kind of following. It was, hey, come follow me, as in follow the leader kind of thing. Get in behind me. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to make you something different. This one's different, isn't it? This one's different. It's still present tense, though. It's still you follow me right now. even though I'm not going to be by your side. Peter turned, verse 20, and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? That's John. And in verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Again, worried about the future. Worried about expectations. What about that guy? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return... What is that to you? Here it is again. You must follow me. Present tense, not future. Follow me right now, Peter. Don't worry about John. Focus, Peter. <laughs> it's me and you. Follow me. So what do we see in the story of Peter here? This glimpse of Jesus' interaction with him. Well, look at his past. He had success fishing. A good couple of years with Jesus. But he had... He, he had dismissed Jesus. He had, he had denied Jesus. He had a, a rough, sketchy past there in the end. He, he, he had walked away from Jesus. He denied even knowing Him. Jesus corrects this by giving Him a mission in the present. Feed my lambs. Peter's future. Jesus points out his lack of control. Just like we thought, looked at in biblical wisdom. And Peter asks about John. But Jesus again gives him a mission in the present. Follow me. Do this right now. 
So what does that mean for us? Catch this first of all in light of the Gospel message. You are a sinner that deserves nothing. Nothing at all. And Jesus comes to you and says, forget your past. Believe in Me. Repent and believe in Me. And I'll give you a bright future. Wow. I mean, that's the message we come to, to come and, and, and talk about and to worship and, and, and to discuss and to rejoice in. Is, is that Jesus has forgotten our past and has given us a future. Same thing He just did with Peter. Peter, the last interaction that they had had that we know of was, it was him looking at Jesus right after denying Him three times. Jesus says, you know what? Forget that. You're a sinner just like everybody else. Now come follow Me. Come follow Me now. And I'll give you a bright future. So what does that mean for you? A couple possible action steps today for each of us. Number one, let go of the past. Some of you have yokes on you, burdens, backpacks filled with lead weight of something that happened to you in the past. Maybe it was something you did. Maybe it was something that was done to you. And you've carried it around your entire life. Nobody else may even know about it. I encourage you today, come, dump that at the altar. Let it go for 2012. It's too heavy. Let go of that. Give it to God today. Maybe it's the successes, though. Can you let go of them, too? Maybe you've had a very successful past, a very good past. Let go of that. Say, God, it's yours. Learn from it but don't live in it. Second, don't only let go of the past. I want to encourage you to let go of the future today. The expectations, the control, the I've got it all figured out. <laughs> and instead, look to the awesome future that God has for His children. But leave it to Him. Leave that future to Him. Maybe you've got some worries. Maybe you've got some doubts. I encourage you to leave them in the same place. Come, dump them. Give them to God. And third and most importantly, what I want to challenge you today as a church, embrace God's present mission for you. Live in the present. Feed His sheep and follow Him. So often we look, we look at passages like this and, oh, He was talking to Peter. Peter was like one of the big apostles. No, He wasn't. He was talking to a fisherman. He was talking to a regular guy. He was talking to me and you. So we can look at this present mission of, of, of feeding sheep and, and, and following Him and we can say, oh, well, feeding sheep, that's Brad's job. That's Chris's job. No, it's not. I challenge you to read in the Bible and find that. There's one thing that I'm passionate about is that the, the leadership expectations in the Bible are not what we think they are. God expects every single Christian, everyone who claims the name of Christ, to be a leader. To lead other people towards Christ. I'm not talking about positional leadership. I'm not talking about a title. I'm not even talking about full-time ministry. I'm saying leadership. He's called every single one of you that have claimed the name of Christ and said, I can't do anything about my past sin. I want Christ to stand in the gap. 
If that's happened, you're called to feed sheep. You're called to follow Him. In the present tense. Not the past, not the future. In the present. So what does that mean? Yeah, memories and dreams are great. But God's at work right now too. 2012 is a different year. What are you going to do in the present? What ministries are you going to step up to? What challenges that lay just beyond you that you know you could do if you, if you were in God's strength and, and, and it's for the kingdom are you going to accomplish? In the present, not the future. I'm not talking about some far off dream. I'm talking about today. With your neighbors, that neighbor God has told you to talk to, the, the, the sin that you've been told to confess time and time again. What are you going to do now? We're to look to the future. We're to learn from our past. But we're to live in the present. Let me pray for us and then we'll have a time of commitment.